Hello, this is Jeff Vandersteld, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate Podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. We believe this is gonna require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church gets united in a region and collaborates around five key initiatives, citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. And so, you know, I, I had an episode a while back with Hugh Halter, and we both agreed that the conversation was so rich, even the one we had that wasn't recorded, that we just need to do it quarterly and just ca- capture it on a regular basis. One, because I think we love being together. It's fun to talk with Hugh. But two, because some of the things that Hugh is working on, I think will continue to encourage the church and I think even challenge us a bit to keep um, keep our eyes on the scriptures and keep our eyes open for new ways in which God wants us to work out this missional living in, in cult- culturally impactful ways. So Hugh, I'm glad you're here with us again. Thank yep. you for joining us. Always glad. Every time I hear you do your little saturate thing, man, I'm like, that's it. Like we could all <laughs> do that. Like, holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to just sit here and chat with you again. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Hugh has been working on with a variety of people for a while is a thing called Brave Cities, correct? Is that what you guys are calling it? Yep. Or, yep. Yeah. And so we, we just agreed that it's probably time for more people to hear about what you're doing, uh, maybe some of the origins of that, uh, what you're presently working on, what are your hopes for that. So we're just going to spend time talking about that today. So he wants you to tell us a little bit more about this idea of Brave Cities. Yeah. Um, I guess in nutshells, people that might know me, you know, they they probably put me in the camp of the missional community stuff. You know, I've been doing that literally for 25 years as a family. Uh, you know, the tangible kingdom came out what 13 years ago. And that was a story of a, a network of missional communities in Denver. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of like, I guess our whole life, it was always about really more focused on evangelism, relational evangelism in neighborhoods. Um, and even though we asked all of our communities, back in the day to always have a mission. Um, it tended to be for most of our groups, the mission was lost people, um, which was great, obviously. Um, and then we started to notice that a lot of our communities, they would mission around needs of the city or something like that. And so it kind of filled out nicely, but most of my life, I was focused almost entirely just on evangelism, uh, all the way back from Youth for Christ days in Portland for 10 years. And then that led to the first church plant. And so I think, you know, as people have followed our story, they tend to go, yeah, Halter is like an evangelist and does it through missional communities. And, and that was true. Well, we got, uh, I guess, an additional part of the menu added in the last seven years. That's what Brave Cities is. It's, uh, and I'll kind of describe it in a little bit, but the story kind of sets it up a little bit better. We, uh, you know, the missional communities stuff that we did was really because my son Ryan had really severe epilepsy. So we were, we were not able to leave the house really together as a family, um, the entire story of his life. And that led us to, you know, just figure out how to be missionaries out of our home. So, um, and then we eventually, he was supposed to have died when he was five or six, made it till mid twenties. And around that time living in Denver, uh, we found an assisted living center for him out in this little town called Alton, Illinois. 
uh, just about 20 minutes north of St. Louis. And so we would fly into this place just to kind of visit him and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when we would come in, we would, like, we were taken by the city and the brokenness of it. It was just kind of, uh, seemed like at the time, I think two thirds of the commercial spaces were boarded up. Um, we started to pull flyers just for fun. You know, we always like to look at homes and we're like, holy cow, how is that 5,000 square foot mansion on the corner overlooking the river? Why is that only $120,000? And so I started to do some sniffing around, found out that Alton used to have 90,000 people. It was down to 30,000. Um, wow. Had lost two thirds of its industry and its, you know, its mojo was gone. Um, there just was hardly anything moving downtown. I would try to get a cup of coffee and there was no coffee shop for 30,000 people. So I'm like, how could that be any closer to hell? Then, you know, <laughs> especially for a good Portland boy, <laughs> yeah, I used to get mad. I'm like, where can you get a cup of coffee around this point? <laughs> and then we started. I just Googled Alton stats, and it was average family income was twenty thousand, and eighty uh, percent of all the residential homes were slumlord owned. You know, you had the normal uh, drug addiction that you could see on the streets. But anyway, so we just keep coming in, and every time, you know, we just would talk about Alton, and then finally, my wife one day. Uh, we're coming out of an Italian bar and she says, why don't we just sell our uh, ranch in Colorado and move here and see if we can do something to help the town is what she said. So it wasn't like, Hey, let's plant another church. Let's go round three on missional community. It was, how do we help the town? And so I won't take the time, but it became a family conversation. That's why, you know, last time we talked about righteous brood is our two adult daughters and their son-in-laws, or I mean, their husbands, my son-in-laws, all came out here together and we were like, let's do something townish. And, um, and so again, long story short for about six months, we just walked and prayed. We had no idea what the marching orders were. And then a gentleman, uh, asked me if I'd go around the city and look at some of the buildings that he owned. And he pulled up in front of a federal post office that had been boarded up for 60 years. It's right across from city hall. And he basically said, um, he asked me what I thought of it. I said, it looks pretty cool. Like it would have been like the crown jewel of downtown. And he goes, it was, that's why we bought it. But, uh, and he had bought it like a year and a half prior, but he said, so you like it? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, it looks cool. And he said, well, good. Cause I feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. And I think you'll know what to do to help the town out is. So I'm like, I'm going, that's kind of what my wife said. It was something about the town, right? So we ended up getting the building for free and um, in very short order through very weird circumstances, uh, about a half a million dollars was poured into the building and we just started to go, okay, what would be good news for this town? Like why would God not have us start a church service, but why would he have us have this building? And so we just talked it through. We just said, why don't we just become the living room for Alton, like the place where everybody connects and let's do things that the town doesn't have. So it didn't have coffee. So obviously coffee and cafe, um, people started to come in and we really were maybe the coolest looking building downtown. And so people wanted to start doing their weddings here. We became the premier event space. And then we noticed that everybody was working here. They A lot of folks couldn't afford office space. So we could seat 350 people at the coffee shop. So like you could sit here all day and everybody did. And so we just started to, we added a co-working element to what we do. Then we added a coffee roastery and then people started to just uh, say, Hey, I heard you guys help people start things, which 
was actually the, the nonprofit purpose statement of what we call Lantern Network. We just said, we're going to incubate good works. We didn't uh, set it up as a church. We set it up as a charitable organization and we incubate good works. So good work could be anything. And it doesn't have to be Christian people doing good things. It could be anybody that, so a, a woman that had been uh, clean off meth for five years was trying to start a bakery. So we let her use our kitchen and now she has her own brick and mortar bakery in town and she's doing awesome stuff like that. So huh. we just started to end up being like a um, little incubator for entrepreneurial efforts. And when that started to happen, Jeff, I didn't know exactly what to do with it. So I was looking around the country for like, who's, who's combining business enterprise um, justice works and, and incarnational homes, you know, and I found a little bit under Tampa Underground, so a lot of people know what was going on with Tampa Underground at the time. Uh, and then I found a group out of uh, Birmingham called Common Thread, and uh, that was more attuned to what we were sh sort of shooting for. And so we just started to do that. Eventually, uh, the leader of that came up and joined us here. And so we began to frame out, um, in fact, a book will come out in February called Brave City. And the subtitle is Creating Kingdom Ecosystems. So not just planting a church, but like creating an actual ecosystem of kingdom where things work together in synergy. Other subtitle is an option for being and living the church. So we're, we're trying to say, look, however, whatever ecclesial form you find yourself in, this is another option. It's not a maybe even a better option, but it is an option when we think about the church declining. Every denomination is declining right now. So the yeah. business model is going away, right? The idea of getting, having paid pastors or, um, you know, that might be gone in 40 years. We don't know, but it's sure it's trending that way to where we've seen a, a bivocational move the last 10 years. Everybody's talking about bivocational. We wrote a book called Bivo. This is like a next step to Bivo. This is not just try to work a job so you can preach on the weekends. This is what if the church was creating an actual financial enterprise engine that would not only support its missionaries, but actually bless the city. So our scriptural tagline is where the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. So mm. we're now looking at it going like, what if that was always the real story? What if you could put Christians in any crappy town, any little cruddy, struggling, marginalized area of any big city, and they were to be a brave community that lifts heavier weights and finds what's broken and figures out the things that need to be bound up and they bind them up, things that need to be loosened and they loose that stuff up. Um, what if that was actually always uh, the option of the church? And so I think when you start to see this, you go, well, the book of Acts, actually, it was kind of that. It was a, it was a financial enterprise network. It was a justice works enterprise network and people were operating out of their homes. So those are like, when we talk about brave city ideology, we say it's you grabbing a group of friends that want to commit to building one of those three things and doing it together. Um, so I'll say them again, it's benevolent business, it's justice works, it's intentional homes that where you don't just live there as a Christian, but you actually go, we're going to try to change the neighborhood. Um, so a lot of the old tangible kingdom would fit that part, right? right? It would be, that'd be the neighborhood right. moment. Um, but we've been at it for five years now. And the most common thing that we hear from people is that you guys have changed our town. 
And we started hearing that year too, because it did, it changed the atmosphere. People started to start new businesses. Our town is kind of on a, a little bit of an upswing. Um, and we can't attribute that obviously to us, but that's what they're saying. They're saying, you guys started it. And so we just started to go, wow, like if we had come in to plant a church, I don't think the town's happy that we can. I don't even know if I would be liked or anything. I don't, but I think because we came in guided by the Holy Spirit uh, to start things that the town didn't have, I think we have really high respect and we get to share the story of Jesus. Like I've never, like, it's just, it's prolific. And it's not just me anymore as like the evangel starting the church. It's our whole network is respected and people love us. And so when we say something or we try to start something, usually people are like, man, we love those folks. They don't even know what our name is. We don't ever talk about the nonprofit name. Most of our Jesus stuff, this will be a little bit weird, is kind of a speakeasy approach. Like we don't we don't have a public worship gathering with a church name. We don't literally want Christians to find us from the old paradigm. We're trying to actually create a new wine, new wine skin completely. So all of our Jesus stuff, people coming to faith and growing are all in small discipleship gatherings, um, you know, very uh, saturate-esque. Um, yeah. And we're, we really are trying to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. So we don't, we don't go public. It's, when, when you watch the history of the church, it was speakeasy-esque for a long time. Like Paul didn't even make it in, right? Like there was like a, don't just go, well, if they went public, they'd even, you know, they get taken out, right? It's like little Al-Qaeda cells. So now we're watching like the church around the world where it's really going berserk and it's speakeasy Jesus. It's, you know, underground church, China, underground church in the Middle East. Nobody's going public. Well, I think there's some things that we're learning here in the U.S. context that might be an option or sort of the wave of the future, even beyond bivocational, where you go into, um, you know, rough parts of cities or marginalized towns have lost a good chunk of their everything. And you just find, you know, we started with eight of us. And uh, we're probably, we're not huge. We're 40 adults that are all intentionally working weekly, day by day to, to begin these networks. And um, so, yeah. Wow. Did you hear that noise? Yeah. What was that? It's like a bunch of coffee beans being poured. <laughs> ice coming out of my air conditioning. <laughs> it's like an ice machine, but anyway, hopefully it won't. <laughs> So anyway, so that's the brave cities is we, we believe when you're, when you are helping or being a part of what God's doing and building his church, you're building a city within the city that you live in. And wow. that's up to brave city. So, man, that's so encouraging. You know, I was, I was just uh, about a month or so ago, I was in Charleston and I was meeting with um, a group of physicians. They started a ministry many years ago called campus a medical campus outreach, and they basically just work with medical students and they're training them in their field, but they're discipling them in the midst of the medical community. And several of the doctors have started their practices intentionally to do the very things you're talking about. And then as they've, as they've grown, they've, they've just started going, okay, well, we're going to move in this neighborhood. Why don't a few of the doctors move into that neighborhood together and they showed me, I got to go hang out in two of the neighborhoods and they know the entire neighborhood. They're, they're leading people to Jesus. They're doing good for the city. And they, sadly, they, they, they were feeling this kind of tension or pull, like we've got to be 
also part of our local church. And they were, you know, the pastors, I think, were like, you guys aren't great members here because you're hardly involved. <laughs> and so we spent like two or three days just unpacking what does it mean to be the church? What does the book of Acts show us? How, in a lot of ways, are you actually more in line with what you're doing, with what we see in the story than many are, many in the church, you know, yeah. aren't, you know, it's like, it's, it's so different. And by the time we were together, they just felt free to go, okay, we're, this is being the church. Yeah, this is church. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, so they're, they're now I'm, now we're just talking through how do they now fully embrace being the church in That's that, in that space for the good of the city? Well, what's fun is now there's a, the conversation is continuing with more and more business leaders. So there's a guy in downtown Charleston who owns a ice cream s- store and he's like, I, I just want to see this be the center of disciple making for in this particular industry. How can you coach us how to do this? So as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, I'm sure you're already getting this. People are going to start saying, wow, what I do matters. And if I did it with those principles that you just described, it would actually be more in line with why God has put us in a place. Yeah. And we might actually get to bring that city within a city reality. So I, that's one of the questions, I guess, or maybe before I go on, thoughts about that. But I also would love to hear, you know, my guess is you're getting people already starting to lean in from other places going, help us. Yeah. So. Yeah, honestly, one of the questions I get is, well, is there anything different between your brave city ideology and that Christian business guy in a city? Okay. I, yeah. well, not at the not at the onset, because essentially, um you know, that's what a Christian business should do. There should be something with a, you know, now related to Christian business, there are lots of nuances because if you don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding, that's been what people have thought about this dilemma of being a Christian business in a, in a cultural societal moment or something like that. But I would say the only difference that I would say in the brave city ideology is that those doctors do find that other guy. And then they find a handful of others and then they actually go, let's build church together. And so it's more of the synergy between them. Um, yep. and they form spiritual practices together that kind of hold them together as, a, as opposed to being like one-off businesses or Christian business or, or even one-off discipleship groups that are independent. That's where most people feel like well, I'm all, all by myself. Right. Yeah. So in the, in the brave city thing, we, we try to say, think more like a, like you're a, a monastic unit that you start to build. So like if people come into the post, they hear of everything going on. Sometimes they'll go well, like, what are you guys? And I'll say, we're like a Neo Trappist order. And I give them that story because that's historically, those were the enterprisal orders. So you had the, the Franciscans and Jesuits. You also had the Benedictines out of the sixth century, uh, St. Benedict, their motto, each, each of the orders had their own like unique thumbprint, right? That held them together. The Trappist Benedictines, had aura at labora, which meant the prayer is to do the work and the work is how we pray. So they were really the ones that said there's no distinction between sacred and secular space, but they also ordered up. So you had to commit to their sort of way of life and rule of order. So when people come in and, and go, Hey, we, we love you guys. You know, do you have church services? We tend to go, look, there's way more to it than that. We have gatherings and we have worship stuff. Um, but we want them to get into our collected commitment to each other and to the city. And so oftentimes that's what, when we're coaching people, we literally are trying to help them find more people like what these doctors are doing and go, let's all actually 
hold each other together spiritually is to actually have some rhythms that are so people will always go, okay, Hugh, all the stuff you're doing sounds cool, but do you go to church anywhere? And I have to say, no, the whole thing is church for me. It's not a yeah. place I go. These are the people that I I actually see almost every day. Um, they're the people I'm doing works with, creating business with. These are the people that we're talking with our common friends about Jesus stuff. These are the people that I'm praying with desperately. These are the people that I suffer with. Those are the marks of being church, right? So I, I just go, no, the whole thing. And yeah, we might have gatherings, but that's not church. That's one of 50 things that are involved in the kingdom ecosystem. So I'll say more like there is worship in the e- ecosystem and there's, there, yeah, there's lots of Bible study and scripture time in the ecosystem. But there's also, there's an economy that we share. So it might, again, be the difference when you're a single business trying to do kingdom work you're missing out on the potential of a common economy. And and our ideology is we don't think you need to get paid to do the works of ministry. Like you don't you don't have to pay me to yeah. to preach, to pay me to share Christ with a friend. You don't have to pay me to walk along a buddy with a porn addiction or like I can do all that for free. So if we don't have to get paid to do ministry, then we have all of our collected time and money to coagulate and go, how do we, how do we take that money and then build something that would make our town go, man, we're glad you guys are here. Like you're changing things. So it's a little bit funky at that level, but that's why I say it's different than just being a Christian business by yourself, trying to be a faithful business person. Wow. Well, it's interesting because that particular guy that I was talking to, um, with the ice cream store, he's like, I think we need to create some kind of a collective where we're working together and where we're aware of each other and we're helping each other. So like you, that's where he's at. You know, he really is realizing I can't do this by myself. We need to do this together in our city. Well, I would say at that point that that coagulation, that community begins to form a brave city is well underway. Like, and that's, that's so cool. And we're finding them everywhere. They just don't have most times. They don't know that they, what they're doing counts They're They've been told that's not church. Yeah. But you oftentimes find that businesses, it's what we, especially in the service industry, I think the service industry is actually the underground evangelistic community. Like, and even in Alton, the ones that don't know the Lord, when this town was struggling during COVID, when floods are coming through, wiping out our businesses, the service industry actually are the ones that are collecting food for the poor. <laughs> like, there, it's it's really weird that those that naturally have businesses that serve the city tend to be the actual almost like hands and feet of Jesus, whether or not they know him or not. And so I think there's an incredible benefit in thinking about going into cities and your very first play is not a church gathering, but it's actually to find what needs to get built and start, you know, renovating buildings and buying up houses in really crappy neighborhoods and, you know, getting after it. So, and doing that work as the prayer, as the intercession over our cities. Wow. <clears throat> well, you, you're making me want to move. <laughs> I mean, we don't I'm want sure that things, Jeff. I know, I know. <laughs> when you when you said like what the price of a house is, like that's just crazy. No, you're going to start to see people finally. They as happening right now. There's actually movements in the real estate world that people are finally moving to the Midwest off of the coast because. You know, I mean, I'm from Portland, so you watch Portland go down the toilet. Seattle's, you know, starting to swirl as well. And uh, people are going, I can't afford it. You can actually live here. 
for a third of what it would cost you almost to live anywhere else in the world. So I, I go, man, crazy. especially for church planters, stop going to the sexy, cool towns. Like uh, we're actually trying to find the top thousand cities that represent the brokenness that we're looking for. So we can direct church planters, you know, to build these brave cities. So we, we just think there's more bang for the buck. It's just like when you send money overseas to some network in India, like you get more bang for the buck there than you get here. Same deal here. Jesus is with the poor. So I go, you're going to get more bang for the buck if you dive into marginalized communities. We didn't do that in church planting world because we knew we couldn't sustain it financially if we just try to build church, right? Yeah, that's this right. Is, Brave Cities is a model that actually now empowers you to go into the places we should have always been. And we don't have to beg for money or ask for it. We're going to make it. And yeah. that's sustain us. So the, the Benedictines, the story goes that... Uh, that by the time the Reformation was beginning, they owned a third of England. They were they were land barons, so the gospel was protected. Oftentimes, because these guys couldn't get bought out, they they held enough land. So I think about the future of the church. We're eventually going to lose our tax deductions. All of our little bennies, uh, they're not going to give you free golf on Mondays or baseball tickets anymore. They're going to. We don't get any of that in Seattle, no. though. Just so you know, <laughs> Seattle is the future. <laughs> And old money, conservative, yeah, go to church. Christians are not going to give us their money anymore. So I go, it's time right now to go where the puck is sliding and start thinking about business uh, enterprise as the foundational sort of business model for the church. Hmm. Man, that's awesome. So right now, are you guys, um, do you have some kind of means by which you're training people or... You know, are you creating learning cohorts around this or is it more just real small at this point just because you want to protect it? Um, yeah, we've the book will be launched in February of 24. Um, probably in the fall, we'll start some learning communities. We've done a few through other networks so far, but mostly right now, I mean, we've just had tons of people fly into Alton to see what we're doing. So we do immersions right now. We're getting tired of those. So uh, I bet. But they're awesome. Like, we love it. Um, we we yeah. do want people to see what's going on. But there are other brave cities that now we've found that are part of our network. So we're trying to, right now, begin to form that national team where we could send you anywhere. And maybe as people tell us a little bit more of their story, we could say, hey, we think what's going on in uh, Pittsburgh is a better story. Or, yeah, come to Alton or these other places. But um I think probably this, as this year goes on, if people just, um, right now, even a website's getting built for bravecity.com. So they can maybe like make a note of that. They can definitely follow me on a, on a Facebook or Instagram. They'll eventually know when that rolls out. But um, we're coaching quite a few ecosystem leaders even right now, but it's kind of undercover. So if somebody is thinking about this, I'd say just uh, literally email me, hughhalter at gmail.com and, okay. and I'll talk to you on it. So. I am curious, what are some other stories? I know you don't want to, you want to kind of keep it Al-Qaeda speakeasy level and don't want to just attract a bunch of Christians and stuff, but maybe uh, just for the sake of stretching our imagination, you talked a little bit about Alta and um, where you're at in terms of the, the post and starting with the coffee shop idea, but what are some other businesses, expressions yeah. of this kingdom, Brave City reality have you seen? I'll show you, without giving you the names, we've actually asked a lot of these people, do you want people to know about you? And they've said, not 
Not yet, because they're all like yeah. in the first five to seven years. But there's a network out of Portland that started out of a CrossFit gym. And uh, without even trying, you know, a good chunk of the gym were uh, people from the gay community. And uh, so they, their denominational network left them <laughs> because wow. they, they, you know, I mean, and he's just going like, I, like, we didn't like put out a sign that said we just want gay people to come. Like, we got respect within that community. And so yeah. they've built out a marketing company from that and I think six other businesses. Um, so that's a cool story is a group out of San Antonio that started really with a community center that uh, connected with a microbrewery and is launching a national root beer thing um, and have built out. I think they have also six other businesses. Um, wow. And they do, they do a Sunday gathering. The Portland thing doesn't. We're more of a network of communities in houses and that type of thing. So I still think Tampa is a, is a unique story of that uh, because some of their micro church efforts are essentially businesses. So they, I think they sort of set up as a brave city in some ways. Okay. Yeah. So those would be some examples. Uh, the network uh, out of Birmingham is still going really strong. That was 20 some businesses. Wow. 50 houses were bought up in really impoverished neighborhoods. A lot of justice work. So a justice work, by the way, would be that it's just not a business. Like we just started uh, the only basketball league for youth in Alton. All but one of these boys got two teams. All but one of these has no dads at all. So that's what we call a justice work. It's not going to make any money. It's going to cost you money. So we might make money in the coffee shop and then we give a micro grant for 15 grand to beyond basketball to get that league going. One of the gals that's in our network runs the warming center for the, you know, for all the homeless folks in our town. And she directs that. So that's a justice work that doesn't make any money. Right. Yeah. We started other nonprofits. Salt is a kind of a youth uh, health mentorship and they raised 110,000 and built the only soccer mini pitch in the whole St. Louis area. Cause we just got our first uh, major league soccer team this year. And he was thinking about it. He knew it was coming. And now we have this beautiful state of the art little soccer mini pitch so stuff like that, like I go, that's a justice work. That's not going to make money. That's just a gift to the city. Um, so you wow. will find in all of these, there's, there's a fantastic network out of Philly that we were just with. And they've been going at it for, I think, 10 to 12 years. And they actually operate as a monastic community. They're probably 80% justice works and, and now beginning to build out the business side. So it really doesn't matter where you start. But it generally what we find in these brave cities, it has those three elements, incarnational homes, very intentional homes, benevolent business and these justice works. But then they add the spiritual practices. Right. And what's, what happens is God builds his church, his people out of that. How are we essentially going to disciple and walk with people and hold it together as a church form? And they're all different. They all start from different places, which is kind of cool. We, we, can, we really hope that when we launch the website, it's a catalog of maybe 20 to 30 brave cities around the world. So people, not you know, they don't just look at us as like a model for, hey, let's just do what they did in Alton. But they can literally just go watch the videos on all these brave cities and begin to see how they did their money, how they did leadership, how they started uh, we do find that so far, every one of them has like what we call an apostolic hub. There's some space that they create, like post commons here, where everybody sort of runs into each other. So that seems to be like an emerging trend that we're finding. Um, mm. 
But even if we hadn't had the post commons, uh, an apostolic hub could be a home, someplace where all the training is done or something like that. But we're finding in most cases, it's a business of some type. Um, mm. Yeah, so like, you know, we're five years into the business side. We will emerge because of my profile, like we're the experts, but there's folks doing this. I mean, there's stories of people um, that we're going to highlight in the book that did this back in the 60s and 70s and were prolific networks in Washington, D.C., all the way back to we actually share a story of a guy that was an ex-slave out of uh, the Carolinas that got up into Don, Ontario, Canada and set up a monastic community that became a work camp that taught ex-slaves that were getting out of uh, up into Canada. And it became their home. It became their hospital. It became the school for all their kids. It became the church community. It got to about 500 people. Wow. That was the story of the original Uncle Tom. So when Harriet Beecher Stowe is writing that, that's, that was a story of that actual story. So you, you can trace these things all over the place. They all look a little bit different. But it, once you see it, you go, oh, wait a minute. It looks like that might be most of the New Testament content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hope that we'll start to see that the church was always meant to be in the first, second, third places of life. It was never meant to be a fourth place that we leave first, second, third, and then we go to the country club for our church service. I just don't think that was ever meant to actually happen. God bless that. I came to faith in that. So I get that God used that, but I think very quickly, God's going to correct us back to, look, I don't need you guys to show up at a weekend service and then go about your individual lives. Like you need to find some friends and start caring for a city. And trust me, I will build my church. Mm -hmm. I go, we're not trying to build a church at all. We don't think we can. All we do is we, we do, we incubate good works. We incubate kingdom and God seems to be doing it way easier here than I've ever experienced. it. So uh, we're excited to tell the story and, and help people learn as we're learning and share our learning. And uh, I think I think the future is bright. Man, that's so encouraging. Yeah, well, while you've been sharing, I've, I, I just couldn't ignore a conversation that came to my mind that I had with my dad several years ago. I was, it was when I was at Willow Creek leading the student ministries and really <clears throat> struggling with with a lot of things. I was, I w it was a crisis point for me. It really is the moment when I realized I need to move back to Seattle and it's what led to the beginning of SOMA. But when he and I were out fishing, cause I was struggling, I need to get away, get out on the water. He, he's in Michigan. He's a business owner. He's not anymore, but he was, you know, owned all these like small businesses, uh, car washes, quickie lube shops, mechanics, shop, you know, all that stuff. Everyone in the city knows them, you know, uh, so they're like, they know Mr. Van. And we're sitting out on the, the boat and he's like, yeah, Jeff, our church is looking at hiring a discipleship pastor. And of course, I'm sitting there listening, going like, what in the world? Like, there's not, that's not like one individual department in the church. That's like the entire reality. And so he's talking. And I said, why, why, why isn't the church just seeing themselves as disciple makers? He's like, well, I guess none of us know how to do that. And so we got to learn how to do it. I'm sitting there thinking and about my childhood and recalling my dad as a business leader who was always sharing his faith, who was doing good, taking care of the poor, helping people get up, up you know, 
out of a really bad situation, mentoring them into what it looks like to have a healthy view on humanity and family and all these things. And I stop. I'm like, Dad, you've been doing this since I've known you. Like, it's all you've ever done. Like, and in that moment, I realized if a pastor would have come alongside of him with what you're talking about and saying, you are being the church, you are doing the work of the kingdom, you are making the city better because of all you're doing and just legitimized it, he would have been able to go like, man, I've been making disciples for 30 years here. Yeah, it might also have changed the way guys like you and me that were heading into ministry would have thought yes. maybe that wouldn't have even been an option. Like we go take some vocational thing inside the fourth place. Oh my goodness. We might've went, I mean, if they're calling your dad, Mr. Van, that's to me, that's, uh, man, why isn't that Jesus I know. name? Like, why do we tell people like there's some other calling to ministry that's separate from, yeah. I mean, if that had always been the story, I have a feeling millions of us are not going into the bubble. We're actually staying out there. I think, especially about guys with your gifting. Like I just, I mean, maybe we slowed ourselves down, Jeff, by entering in I know. for a while. Like what if we had started this when we were 2020? And oh we my goodness! Discipleship networks through the businesses. I mean, I just holy cow! Oh, so I know. I, yeah, I hope young guys listen to this. They're thinking that they're called to ministry. I hope you hear. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> is. You have a thousand and fifteen <laughs> options for how you play That's out, right? Like, and it doesn't yeah. have to be going in. Um, and if you go in, there's nothing wrong with that. If God calls you to go into the bubble, then go into the bubble. But. I think you're taking one for the team. I think it's harder in there. I think it's harder to get respect in the world when you've got the the pastor title. I really do. I think if you're the ice cream guy, you got way better shot in reaching yeah. that 18 people on next to this, you know, in the businesses around you, your pastor has no shot of reaching those friends. So that's right. Yeah. I think you're better positioned, man. Yeah. I, I really do hope the a next generation is given the freedom and the imagination to begin to believe this is the way of the kingdom. And you said it, but I just, I just encourage listeners, read, read the book of Acts with this lens, just try it. And you're going to see a very different story than the one that you had with some other lens. Like it just, Luke was a doctor, Paul's a tent maker. I mean, you just go through the whole story and you're like, man, these people were living this. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, you know, it's like once once you put a story over a story, you can't see the story anymore. Gosh, it's killing me. And Paul yeah. said, I, I, you know, Paul, the great missionary, I decided to work amongst you so as not to be a burden. Why does that ever come up in funding conversations that that key apostolic leaders for the sake of the mission in the city? go not only and later paul said i i didn't just work for me i worked and supported all you like my work supported all these young guns and gals that were related to his little network and we just missed that thing so right now we've got 17 people on that are employed through our network and then the businesses that are inside our network you total them up it's about 42 that are fully employed in our network and i would say 32 ish are believers that feel called to our town so I go, that's funding 30-some missionaries. Wow. We're all together. We're lockstep. Um, and I think we're changing the town. So then, then I think we'll be here another 25 years or until I probably die. I'm going to die in this Midwestern town. 
not nearly as cool as Colorado, but I go, man, what could happen in 25, 30 years if you stayed put in, in a struggling town? And like, even in the book, we actually say, hey, we think you should go and look for 10 to 40 friends to do this with. We actually have found all the ecosystems that we coach. The cities also say that those ecosystems have changed their city. And most of them have less than 50 people that are intentionally working. So I go, you can do way more in a city with 40 intentional entrepreneurs than you could do with 4,000 church attenders any day. Like it will change the paradigm for what they think it is. And, and I've always said evangelism is not telling people something they've never heard. It's right now evangelism is changing the way people see it or helping them to see it's not what they think it is. And so I think even in our day and age, I think space making might be the new evangelist. Like you begin to create new spaces for people to connect and find the hope of God and find that God actually does care about the city and fixes things. I yeah. think the story of the evangelical Christian could maybe even change. Um, and mm. it, so anyway, wow. people just want to get some coaching. They can just call me, uh, email me personally, and then we'll try to get you on kind of a database as we begin to roll out some training and the books and stuff like that. So. Wow. Wow, man. Hugh, thank you so much. And I, I'm eager to see the book come out. I'm eager to see more learning communities take place. And and the, the cities that I'm presently serving uh, in, I'm just going to point them your way when I find guys like the ice cream shop guy. I mean, we just, I want them to I want their imagination to be captured with a kingdom vision. Fills out. We'll also go within the saturate movement. 40% of that is brave city type. Like that is not yes. a and because you do, you have it already going on in the network. So I, I hope that people don't just view gospel saturation as sort of uh, relational teaching discipleship, but they actually see saturate as we're saturating the cities so that where we all prosper, the cities just like they can't stop applauding what the people of God are doing. And that to me would be a level of saturation that might might finally change the story a little bit. So, Yeah. Well, Lord, may it be so. Yep, for sure. Love you, man. I love you too. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And we'll, you and I are going to keep doing this, I, I hope, once a quarter. I think people need to keep hearing the stories, hear the encouragement. Um, this is, I believe, where we're headed. So thank you for for going where the puck's sliding, as you said. <laughs> I loved you throwing in that hockey term, man. <laughs> of our next talk be simply... A half hour about the Kraken. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is a great second year, man. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, thank you so much, Hugh. See you. Peace. Well, thanks for joining us for the Saturate podcast. I hope you are inspired and encouraged, as well as receive some ideas of how you could take some next steps in the work God's called you to do in your own context. I want to let you know of another way that you might be able to receive some ongoing encouragement and equipping. You could visit saturatetheworld.com where we have a lot of our resources, our training, PDFs, videos, audio, a whole bunch of stuff to serve you in your journey towards being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Now we're going to provide a code for you to use if you'd like to try a two-week free membership to our subscription-based services. That code, if you'd like to use it, is PODCAST2023. 
2023. That's one word, all lowercase, podcast 2023. And we'd love to just invite you to check out what we have online so that you can see if it's something that might serve you and maybe serve the people that you also lead or work with as you consider what it would take for you to get more and more equipping. It's our desire to make this available to as many people as possible. And so everybody who eventually pays for a monthly subscription makes it available for free for people who can't afford it. We've had the honor of being able to give almost 500 free subscriptions away this last year, and we're hoping to give even more to those around the world who can't afford the membership. But if you can, we'd love for you to consider it. Try it for free for a couple weeks, see if it serves you well. And if so, love for you to continue on and be a Saturate member. Second, I want to invite you to consider being a Saturate partner. And that's someone who's committed to pray and or also give to support the work of gospel saturation. What we do is completely based on fundraising and the money that comes in through the subscription and some of the products we're able to sell. But the majority of our work is funded by people like you who just believe in the work and want to see more of it done. So if you want to pray with us and join us in praying for gospel saturation, send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Let us know you want to be a prayer partner, and we'll begin to send you updates so you know how to pray specifically. And if you want to give, just go to saturatetheworld.com, click on the Give button, and you'll see all the instructions there to help you take a step towards supporting the work as a Saturate partner. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and I can't wait till you hear the next one. I hope we continue to encourage you with the work of gospel saturation in North America and around the world. 